Good morning. How's everybody doing? I'm very excited to be here this morning. Excited to be with everybody as you uh, join us here in the auditorium or online. We're just so excited to have this opportunity again. So thankful to be able to begin the process of coming together again as a church and uh, just looking forward to what God's going to do um, as the doors begin to open up. And, and so we're just so grateful and thankful for that. Uh, my name is Eric Smith. I am the pastor of discipleship and outreach here at Connection Church Savannah. And before we get started, uh, I just want to follow Meredith and, and just go ahead and acknowledge tomorrow for what it is. Um, we just want to honor all of the people who have paid the ultimate sacrifices. Memorial Day comes, we just want to acknowledge the heroes who are willing to die, to lay it all on the line for the sake of the freedom to do things like what we're doing this morning, that they're willing to sacrifice everything. And so we want to honor those fallen heroes and just join together with all of you and, and just lifting them up and acknowledging that, that they have paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we can walk in the freedoms that we can walk in in this country. And we want to also acknowledge all the active duty and all the veterans who are willing to pay that same sacrifice. We want to acknowledge and thank all the families because we know it's not just the service member who is in the military, it's the whole family that are sacrificing for our sake. And so for all of that, we honor our heroes and we say thank you to everyone who has served in any branch of uh, our active military. So just thank you again for that. Um, looking forward to, to what God has for us today. Looking forward to um, Acts 23 as we begin to land the plane, right? We can see that we're starting to circle the runway a little bit. The landing gears are beginning to come down and we're getting closer and closer to, to finally finishing uh, Acts. And it's been an incredible ride. Uh, it's been encouraging. It's been encouraging as a, as a new church as we see God's kingdom being pushed forward in Acts and just can't wait to to finish and land that plane with everyone as a church because we have done it together as a church and so it's been exciting it's been fun and and it's been revealing and, and hopefully we see Christ on every page of Acts like he is on every page of scripture and just look forward to what God's going to do next as we get ready to to move into our next series after we finish this so again I'm going to pray for us real quick and, and we're going to get started Father God, Lord, we just love you. We thank you. We praise you for this opportunity, Lord, as we come together again. Lord, we are excited. We are excited about what you're doing, what you have planned for your church, Lord. Lord, we just thank you that you've given us the privilege of being able to begin to come back together again. And Lord, I pray as we get to experience the graces of the church as we get to experience that ministry of presence that each person brings as they gather together in your house, as we get to worship you and just lift your praises together again, God, Lord, I just pray that there is a revival that's ignited not only in this church, but in every church. Lord, as we continue to move forward in whatever you have for us in this world, your kingdom will not be stopped. The gospel message will not be stopped. And no matter what happens, the church will always be a part of pushing that message, the good news of Jesus Christ forward in this world. And so Lord, we want to say yes. We want to say yes to what that looks like. We want to say yes to when it's time to come back. We want to say yes to what you're calling us to after this. Lord, we want to say yes to whatever it is you are leading us to because we know you are there and we want to be where you are. So Lord, we just love you and thank you and praise you as we prepare to, to take these next steps and, and continue to come together more and more and get to see those smiling faces and those gifts that you have given and experience those things. God, we just pray your blessing on it. We trust you with it. We know that it is of you and we wanna always be where you are. So Lord, guide us in the future like you have to this place. And Lord, we trust you in that. As we open the scripture today and as we look at Acts, Lord, I just pray that our hearts are prepared, that our hearts are receptive, that we have ears to hear, we have eyes to see, that your Holy Spirit just moves in this place and at every home, every car, wherever people are listening, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is so thick and so evident, Lord, that, that we are changed in these moments that we come out looking more like Jesus, that we come out with a freedom, that we come out with an acknowledgement of who we are in Christ because of the finished work of the cross. So Lord, we just look forward to what you have for us today and ask that you just bless this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so 
If you tuned in with us last week, you knew we were in Acts 22, and Michael did an incredible job of just laying out the, the testimony of Paul as he stands before the Jewish mob, and he gives his testimony of what Christ did in his life, and, and then we moved into some of the stopping points that we have as believers when it comes to our testimony, and it was just, if you haven't had a chance to, to watch that, go back and watch it. I would encourage you to go look at that and just see. Uh, it's such a good reminder of what God has for us and why our story is relevant to the kingdom. That it didn't just happen for us. It didn't just happen so that we could be excited about what Jesus did for us, but that it would move us to go and tell people that everything that happens in our life is for a reason. It's so that we can be a witness to the goodness of God and the freedom of Jesus. So, it was an awesome, incredible time, but we get to see a little bit different witness today. We get to see a very contrasting witness as we look at Acts 23. We see Paul, he's now standing before the Sanhedrin because the mob became such a fury that, that they had to move him. And so the commander brings him before the Sanhedrin. And as he stands before them, we see him declare his clean conscience again. And then we begin to see them and their response to the message. We, we see how the response is so violent. And, we, and this isn't anything new. It's been the same all the way through. But we see them do some incredibly wild and crazy things for the sake of upholding their comforts. So let's jump right into it. Acts 23, verse 1. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers... I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. And then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. And then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I am a Pharisee, defended, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring them into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And the next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. And they went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. So as we look, we see this very contrasting witness, right? We see the religious elite of the day. We see the same ones that, who were supposed to be upholding the law in a way that made them radically different, that, that people should follow them, that people should be like them, that, that people should seek to, to follow everything they do because if they would, they would be right before God. And yet they are so caught up in their own version of the law, in the way that they understand it, in the standards they've set, that they do crazy things. And this isn't the first time we see it, but we look and we see he strikes Paul in the mouth and violates the law to do it. Later on, we see 40 men coming together to form a conspiracy to kill Paul. And this isn't a New Year's resolution. This isn't, hey, I'm going to lose 10 pounds, and two days later, I'm eating a full cheesecake, right? This is, we're not going to eat or drink until Paul is dead. They're essentially saying, it's us or him. We're ready to go through with this thing to the end. And so they're ready to violate the law 
in a, in a way that it wipes out Paul. Why? Why are they looking to destroy Paul? Because it's rubbing against their comfort. It's rubbing against the thing that makes them who they are. It's, it's their standard. And what they believe is making them right before God. And so you look at that and you go, why is that? Why is that this message is so offensive? It's for that very reason. Because it rubs against what they have done to create a righteousness before God. Because they follow the letter of the law, because they are obedient and they're faithful to do everything that the law commands, no matter how many laws there are, they are following them above all else. And, and this raises them and elevates their status. It elevates uh, who they are in front of the people around them. It, it sets them in a standard and a place where others would hope to aspire to. And this message, this message of freedom, this message of grace, this message that all of those things matter not because the finished work of Jesus Christ has set us free. And it's rubbing. And it's rubbing to the point where it causes them to do violent things. It causes them to do crazy things because it's getting in the way of what's easy for them. It's getting in the way of their comforts. And isn't that how we all are? Right? We're comfort creatures. We like our comfort. It makes it easy for us. Right? I mean, just look at how the world tells us to follow and go about our own way. Right? Find what works for you. Do the, the thing that makes you the very best. Seek whatever it is you desire and do whatever you have to do to get there goal is an easy life. The goal is comfort. The goal is to work hard your entire life until you reach a certain age and then you can retire and you have all of these comforts and you get to enjoy all of this life. Just work hard you have to do. Make it easy for yourself if you can. Find a way to make it easy. We're comfort creatures. Even our advertising is comfort. I mean, Rosetta Stone tells me I can learn 17 languages in a month. I hadn't even got English right yet. So we're going to have a conversation about their learning curve because that's a very bold statement. They haven't taught Eric Smith yet, right? But that's how it's sold to us. We look at Expedia. We look at Travelocity. We look at all these things. One click of a button and you can be in this fabulous location. It's easy. You don't have to hustle through the internet and try to find what works best for you. You can go to this one place at one button and just arrive in paradise. That's how we work. That's what we are. We want it comfort. We want comfort. We want it to be easy. We want it to uh, just fall in line for us and move us into that place where we want to be. And so this isn't anything new that they're doing. We feel these same things. We have these same problems. But look at what it does. Look at how it divides. They care more about their own desires, their own comforts, their own thoughts, what they think matters most. That's what's important. Not what scripture says, not what's been promised to them through the Messiah. It's what they think. It's what they do. It's how they go about their work. It's how they think they are making themselves right before God. And so by the very nature, we see legalism at its finest, right? But legalism didn't stop in the Old Testament. Legalism didn't stop in the New Testament. Legalism didn't stop with Jesus, right? And so we, we see this, we see this violent thing, and yet we see churches divided. Look, one statement that rubbed against the party's belief structure, and what happened? Another a violent dispute. Knowing that there were Sadducees and Pharisees, he makes one claim. I am here because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And what happens? It splits. They've completely lost focus. The whole thought was Paul. And now they, can't, they don't even care about Paul because they're arguing over what they think. They're arguing over what they believe. They argue over what, what they know to be right. And they've completely lost focus on what, was it, what the goal at hand was. That's how twisted legalism will make us. You think it won't happen today? You want to watch a church split faster than anything in the world? Change the way you do worship. And you'll see a church split in half. It apart like the Red Sea. And if that don't do it, the carpet. 
because that'll do it. I don't like that color. It doesn't fit with the rest of the patterns. I don't like this. I don't like the way this looks. I don't agree with this, right? But we see legalism do that. We see it today and it's paralyzing. Legalism destroys unity. It it destroys the vision of a church and, and the goal of a church because it becomes more about what I want, what I think, what I need, what makes me feel comfortable than what Christ has called us to. And that's what it does. And that's why such crap, they're not the only ones that fall victim to this. They're not the only ones that legalism makes people do crazy things. We worship Jesus. As long as a song is pointing to him, as long as a song is creating an atmosphere to where we are able to sing his praise, that we are worshiping his name, that everything points to him. It doesn't matter what song, what key it's in. It doesn't matter what instrument you're using. All that matters is, are you talking about Jesus? Are you worshiping Jesus? Yet it will tear us apart. Why? It's such a trap. It's one of the hardest things to push back against because we're comfort creatures. We want what makes us feel good. We want it to fit us. We want it to fit what we like, what we desire. And so as we get into this, let's define legalism. John Piper would define legalism in this way. It says, legalism is the conviction that the law keeping is the grounds for our acceptance with God. Right? So whatever we know to be true, whatever we believe, whatever we've heard, whether it be someone else preached at 50, or whether we did our own little study on the internet, whatever we believe to be true is the standard for our righteousness before God. Our comforts, our desires, our thoughts, that's what sets us apart. That's what puts us in a place of favor before God. Really what it comes down to is I'm earning God's favor that I'm overlooking what Christ has done in the cross. Legalism in its easiest form is, I am just doing whatever I feel like I need to do to earn God's favor. So it becomes about what I do or what I don't do. So if I do this, then I earn God's favor. If I don't do this, then I lose his, I lose his favor. If I read the Bible, then I'm in good God's good graces. I'm gonna receive blessings. If I don't read the Bible and something bad happens, well, it was obviously God being heavy-handed and punishing me for not reading scripture. It becomes more about what I'm doing and what I'm not doing, what the truth of Scripture says, that God is for us. Just like that song, he never forsakes us. He is always with us. We let these things happen and we let these things control us and we set this standard. And a good leader, I love a standard. I love a criteria. I'm that I'm that guy. You give me a criteria to meet, check, 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 got it, what you got next? That's who I am. It feeds into my personality. I love it. I love being able to set myself apart by meeting things, by finishing things. Yes, I've done this. Yes, I've done that. Yes, I've done that. Okay, I'm good. It's just, I'm a comfort creature. I like the criteria. I like the list and being able to, to check it off. It makes me feel better, but it's not healthy. It's not good for me. It's not healthy in my relationship because it takes my eyes off of him and it puts my eyes on me. What am I doing? Did I do everything that I needed to do? Am I trusting in me or am I trusting in the finished work of Jesus? Am I trusting in my own power and abilities or am I trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit? It's who I am and I have to push back against that. I have to be intentional because I like it. I enjoy it. And I want the holiness. I want the righteousness but I want it to make me feel better about who I am, not bring glory to God. And so this trap of legalism, it's tough. But Paul spent so much time pushing back against it. And almost all, so many of the letters, you see him, he's, he's pushing back and there's no Greek word or Hebrew word for legalism. So there's no word we can go to and go, okay, this is him talking specifically about legalism. But we can see in Scripture in Galatians 2, 15 through 16, Galatians 3, 2 through 6, Romans 6, 14, just to name a few, of him uh, acknowledging what this is, acknowledging uh, them trying to obey the law and, and trying to follow the law in a way that, that gives them um, righteousness, that makes them right with God and brings them favor. And he pushes back against it with Jesus. He pushes back against it with Christ and what Christ has done. 
he continues to deliver that message of freedom, that message of hope, that message that breaks the chains of bondage that we fall into because that's what legalism is. It's bondage. It binds a church. It binds a person. It binds them from their their true purpose and their true identity in Christ, and the enemy loves it. He loves it. It can break up the unity of a church so fast. It can destroy a vision so fast. Look how quick they changed. Hey, we're here to kill Paul. We're ready to take an oath. But he believes in resurrection of the dead. So this has now on his side. Now we're not even talking about that. We're these again. And so we see all of this. We see legalism. We see the bind, the way it binds. And we see it because aren't we all just earners anyways? We have this earner's mentality. I go to work. I work all, all week long. I get my 40 hours. And what do I do? I earn a paycheck. Right? I work. I, I get acknowledged. I, stand, I set myself apart because I'm a hard worker. And what do I do? I earn a promotion. I do all of these things and I, I earn my place. If I want to go try out for a sports team, I work really hard, I practice, I put in the hours, and what happens? I earn a position. We're just trapped in this earner's mentality, and it's so hard for us to break away from. It's so hard for us to push it away from, and we see how it can disrupt and destroy and can even make us do some of the craziest world, right? So as we look through this, and we see all this. We see what, what this is doing to, to this group of people and how it violently causes this disruption to the point to where Paul has to be removed. If there's so much of a trap for us, if the law can lead us into such a place to where we don't even know which way is up, all we feel is the condemnation that comes with the law, we, that destructive force that it is, that it tears us apart because we realize I can never keep it, I can never follow it. How will I ever make myself right before God? Because there's no way I can do these things and I can obey all of this because if I just get mad, then I've already broken a commandment. I broke a It happens, right? I, my, my acknowledgement of my inability to keep it happens so often. And so then what, what's the point? What's the, the intention of the law? Let's start with that. In Romans 7, 7, it says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And in Romans 3.20, we see, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And so the law will always carry that. The law will always reveal to us that we need Jesus. The trap is when we start trying to set the standard of how we meet the law. The trap is when we start trying to decide what puts us in the right place. The trap is when we become condemned because we didn't keep it. The trap is when we start to compare because we see other people keeping it. And so we fall into this trap and we see it here and we we understand that it's always going to carry that because we need to know, right? I don't know everything. I need something to point me towards Christ and away from sin. I need something to to go, hey, don't do this. This isn't good for you, right? That in Georgia, it's illegal to keep an ice cream cone in your back pocket on Sunday. So if you have an ice cream cone, don't keep it in your back pocket today. You're good tomorrow. Feel free, but not today. In Arizona, it's illegal for a donkey to sleep in a bathtub. So if you ever have a donkey in there, stay away from bathtubs. And this one's fun. This one's not good at all. It's horrible. And in Vermont, a woman has to have her husband's written permission to wear false teeth. That's a law. You didn't know that, did you? Now you know. Now you're aware, right? That's what the law does. It makes us aware of what we're not supposed to do. It makes us aware of what's going to happen, that there's going to be some kind of consequence with this, right? It's always going to carry that. It's always going to carry that for us. But it's not there 
to condemn us if we have Christ. It's not there to cause us to walk around bound by guilt and shame, to just stay trapped in this idea that I have to meet some standard in order to to make God love me. It's a moral guideline. It is, it's actually a loving And we're gonna see that a little bit as we begin to unpack this. But it's just in a broken world, the sin the law was designed to point out actually leads to us distorting the truth, right? We know we're in a sinful world. We know we're broken. We know we're sinners. And so the very thing that the law was intended to point out in us is the very thing that makes us misunderstand it so much and to get trapped by it so much, so often. It's the very thing that drives us to disunity. It's the very thing that destroys vision. It destroys the goals that God has set for us. And so our hearts are so deceitful that we join the Pharisees and the Sadducees in thinking that God is mad at me if I don't meet these things. I have to work harder to find his favor again. Something bad happened to me. I got a, I got a bad bit of news. I got some bad report. It must have been because I did something wrong. It must have been because God doesn't feel the same about me as he did yesterday when I read scripture. But it's a trap. Romans 9, 30 through 32 says, What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but, and look at this, circle this if you have it in scripture, as if it were by works. Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if that righteousness were by works. And they stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. And they fell into that same trap that we often fall into, that I have to earn God's favor, that I have to work for righteousness, that the work of the cross wasn't enough for me because I am the worst of sinners. And so I need to do what I have to do to try to get back right or I just become paralyzed and crippled by my fear, crippled by my guilt, crippled by my shame. And that's what legalism is. It's the framework that carries guilt and shame or a comparison and of all of it is pride. Really, when we get down to it at the root of all of it, it's pride. And both of these take our eyes off of Jesus. They distort our view of God. And we fall into this guilt and condemnation. We're so overwhelmed that what we did and didn't do, like I said before, has affected us in such a way that we never experience the grace of redemption, right? We we do all of these things to, to try and to satisfy God. And we miss the fact that we have been given the opportunity to confess our sin and experience his grace and forgiveness because he has promised us he will do it. And so we're so worried about trying to fix ourselves. We're so worried about trying to get things right that we miss an opportunity to just come up here and go, God, take it. Take it from me. I'm paralyzed in my chair because I know what I've done. And freedom is right here. Freedom's right here. Freedom is in our living room. Freedom is in our bedroom. Freedom might be in our car. And I'm stuck. I'm paralyzed because I think I'm not worthy of forgiveness. But Jesus has promised us that. He's promised us that we have this place to come to, the altar of God, to where we can lay whatever we've done down, and there's nothing that we can do that will be too big for that cross, and we can lay it down, and we can experience grace, we can experience forgiveness, we can even experience repentance, and we can walk away from it free, and yet we're paralyzed, because I don't know if God wants to really, because this one's hard, I knew better. You know how long I've been going to church? I knew better. I've read his scripture. I've taught his word. I've led a group. I've been in Sunday school. I've taught Sunday school. I've led mission teams. I know better. 
and I'm paralyzed because I don't think that God will forgive me for this. That's my doing. That's my thought. That's what I believe. And so we have guilt and the shame and the condemnation. Or we get trapped in comparison. And so if we fall into this comparison deal, it's so quick to hurt us. The fastest way to destroy something special is to compare it to something else. Your walk with Christ is something special. It is something that that he has done in you. There is an evidence of the Holy Spirit living, living in you. There is something that is so special about your walk with God and what he has called you to in this kingdom in his kingdom, and what he wants to do, and his purposes, and his plan for his kingdom to be on earth as it is in heaven, what he's called you to. And the fastest way to destroy it is to compare it to somebody else's. I'm not as good as Michael. Man, have you seen him? He has been killing it up here. Man, do you see how she leads her group? Her group is multiplying like crazy. She's multiplied like four groups. We're lucky if we get six people here. Do you see what he's doing every Sunday? Man, he is walking around. He is meeting people. He is killing it at the first time guest table. He starts conversations like that. I have a hard time saying hey to people. But look at him. He can start a conversation from scratch. Nothing. And it's like people love them. Why? What are they doing? They walk by me like they don't even see me. And I'm paralyzed, trapped in that. She's so good at next steps. She knows so much about our church. I can never do that. I can never go on a mission trip. I don't know anything about Jesus. What if somebody asked me to talk about him? You want me to go to the homeless and tell people about Jesus? I can't even quote scripture. I'm doing good if I can remember anything about the Bible. But look at this person. Man, he can spout all scripture like this. How does he do it? I don't have that. I can't do that. It's like he knows the entire Bible by heart. How does that work? The fastest thing to destroy something special is to compare it to something else. You get a new car, then you see somebody else's car get a new house, then you see somebody else's house. Then you see somebody else's marriage. Our walk with Jesus until we see somebody else's walk with Jesus. And when Paul talked about comparison in Corinthians, he was saying that the comparisons that we use are the standards we set. We're the ones setting the standard for comparison. We're the ones deciding what's right and what's not. So Christian author C.S. Lewis wrote this, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else become equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. Andy Stanley follows Lewis and he said that we all have an er problem. I want to be better. I want to be faster. I want to be greater. But Craig Rochelle came behind him and said we have an est problem. I want to be greatest. I want to be the fastest. I want to be the smartest. And so we wind up being trapped, being paralyzed. Groeschel goes on to say, comparison leads to two different places, feeling either superior or inferior to others, and neither one of them honor God. Neither one of them honor God. If you are wallowing in your self-pity, if you are wallowing in your guilt and in your shame because you compare yourself or, or you're trapped, that doesn't bring honor to God. 
Who are we to decide what that is anyways? Who are we to decide what real forgiveness is anyways? Who are we to decide whether or not what we've done is worthy of God's forgiveness? Who are we to think that? Who am I to think that that God won't forgive me? That the blood of Jesus that was shed for all sins was good for everyone else except for mine. Who am I to think that? Who am I to think that all these other people are so much better than me because of some standard? Who do I think I am? That's not God's standard. That's not the truth and the freedom that we see in Jesus Christ. It's not the redemption that we see in the work of the cross of Christ. It's not hope. There's no hope in that. There's no freedom in that. And we want people to see hope. We want people to walk in freedom. We want people to enjoy the graces of forgiveness and confession because we're all sinners anyways. We're all a hot mess. Just come hang out with us. See. And if you don't, if you can't find it, come hang out with me. I'll show you. I'll show you what a mess looks like. But I also hope I show you Jesus somewhere in that. I hope that you can see him in me. I hope that you can see that I'm not bound, but I do fall into that trap sometimes. And it happens to all of us because that's what it does. It takes our eyes off of Jesus and puts our eyes on us, puts our eyes on our standards, on our convictions, not the convictions of the scripture, not the convictions of the Holy Spirit. We set the standard. So what do we do with that? What do we do if if that's us? And maybe you're in a place this morning that, that you're trying to figure out what does that look like? What, is, what are the gifts that I have even worth? I don't even know if I have any gifts. Just say yes. Say yes. Walk through a door. Walk into an opportunity. Sign up for a serving opportunity. Sign up to go out into our community and tell people about Jesus. Sign up for first-time guests. Sign up for next steps. Sign up for a connect group. Sign up for an opportunity. Just say yes wherever you are. Say yes. And just keep walking through doors. When you see your gift, you'll know it. When you're operating in it, you'll know it. And it's okay if that thing that you start with isn't for you. It's okay if that doesn't work out, as long as the reason why you walk through the next door is because you've prayerfully considered it and you're not falling trapped to comparison. You're not falling a victim to to condemnation because it didn't work out the way you wanted it to. Because you weren't as great in it as you thought you would be. So I'm just gonna quit and I'm not gonna do it. But regardless of the legalism and condemnation or comparison that we fall ourselves or we find ourselves trapped in, God has destroyed those chains in Jesus. He's given us a way when there should have never been a way. And we say that all the time. We have a way when there never should have been a way. And we'll never be able to break these chains on our own. We'll never be able to, to overcome this stuff on our own, this earner's mentality. We'll never be able to break free of our comfort and our our own desires without Jesus. We have to have him because he is the only way. Matthew 22, 37 through 40 says, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And Paul sums it up like this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. This is Romans 13, 8 through 10. The commandments in verse 9 You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, because love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. We spend all of this time trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong, what's going to make us right before God. We're called to do two things. To love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength, and to love others. And yet we'll compare, 
and we'll condemn and we'll trap ourselves and we're just called to love people. I'm just called to love people. I'm just called to love people right where they are. No matter what they look like, no matter what they smell like, no matter what they believe or what they don't believe, I'm just called to love people. If I want to break free of the condemnation, if I want to break free of comparison, only thing I have to do is love because in loving others, I will experience love because God is love. We're just called to love and we complicate it so much. It doesn't matter what color the carpet is. I'm just supposed to It doesn't matter what the worship is like. I'm just supposed to love people. It doesn't matter what the vision of this church is. I'm just supposed to love people. It doesn't matter if we're going into a homeless neighborhood where I think we should go into this other neighborhood. We should just love people. That's all we're called to do. That's how we fulfill the law because the law has been fulfilled for us in Jesus Christ, which is the greatest expression of God's love. That is the greatest expression. We are free from all of that condemnation because there's a cross that stands on Calgary and it shows us that God loves us. He is for you. He is for me. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter my standards. God loves us. Romans 8, 1 through 4. We love 8, 1, don't we? Don't we? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love it. I'm free. Why? Because in verse 2, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you, has set me free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by my flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering for me to climb up on the cross and to take the wrath of every commandment that I could never keep, every comparison that I would never live up to, every idea that I think I should be and never make. He is the one who crawled up on the cross to absorb that wrath for me. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in me, in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And if we go down to 837, it says, no, in all these things, we are more than through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future power, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's another derivative meaning that John Piper gives for legalism. It's the spirit and the life that flow from a failure to be humbled and broken and amazed and satisfied by the grace of God in Christ. The spirit and the that flow from a failure to be humbled and broken and amazed and satisfied by the grace of God in Christ. Legalism is a heart that is not stunned by grace, that is not blown away that God did what he did for a sinner like me. Why would he do that? Why? I can't believe that. There shouldn't have been a way for me. There shouldn't have been a way for me to find forgiveness. There shouldn't have been a way for me to find freedom. I shouldn't be able to walk with hope and joy. I should be bound by my sin because I know what I've done. We have to live a life that's amazed that we're even saved by grace. If we're going to be a church that's recognized by anything, I pray that we're recognized first by our refusal to put any other God before our God. That includes us. That includes our ideas. That includes our thoughts, our visions, what we think is right, what we think is wrong, the idols that we create with the condemnation of trying to keep the law, with the judgment that we have for others, the comparisons that make us feel better about who we are. I pray that all the idols in our lives are destroyed and we completely give all that we are to the kingdom and the glory of God for his name's sake. I pray that we're out recognized by our comforts and the ease of things. 
that we're willing to be uncomfortable, that we want to be uncomfortable, that we get scared when we're uncomfortable, that we get nervous about it when we're comfortable. I'm sorry. Right? We want to be it. We want to be uncomfortable. God put us in a place that makes me uncomfortable. Put me in a place where I need to depend on you. Put me in a place where the only thing I can do is cry out to you. I pray that we're known by our willingness to be uncomfortable. And I pray that we are a church that's willing to step into social issues and injustice because we see that that's what God would have us do instead of what we think we should do. Whether or not that's the way we were raised, whether or not we agree with it all the way around, whether or not we even know or care or even have any type of feeling towards it one in one way, shape, or form, we understand that it violates what God has called us to. And we're willing to step into that boldly. We're willing to take a stance. We're willing to stand up and not be indifferent just because it gets sketchy if we take a stand on something. Man, if we post something and people don't like it, then what? Instead of going, what would God have us do? Because God cares about justice. God cares about social orders. God cares about diversity. God cares about equality because that's what heaven looks like. So I hope we're a church that's recognized by our willingness to just run into these things carefully, biblically, but that we run into them with love. I pray that we're a church that's so broken before the Lord, that we're so aware of our sin, that we're so aware of the redemptive work of Christ, that this is a safe place for the murderer, that this is a safe place for the adulterer, this is a safe place for the coveter, for the idolater. This is a safe place for the thief. This is a safe place for the person who failed time and time again. This is a safe place for the broken person who thinks they have to clean their life up before they can come and see Jesus. That this is a safe place when they walk in that they feel so loved because we are so loved by God and Jesus. That they feel hope when they walk in the door because people have received hope that we're a place that's marked by salvation because when they walk in they see a bunch of people who are trying their best to follow after Christ but know they're imperfect know they're going to get it wrong and who just give all they have to Jesus they lay it all at the altars they lay it all wherever they are on the line in front of Christ and they know that he will not fail them because we have nothing else but Jesus And I pray that lives are changed when they walk in these doors because they understand and they realize that they're not going to be judged for who they are because they're they're amongst family. They're amongst broken people. They're amongst people who can't get it right. But they're amongst people who know Jesus and who have surrendered everything to him. We want to be recognized by the fruit of salvation in this place because we understand the commandment is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And I just pray that when people walk in these doors, I pray that there's people are watching at home that they feel that love. They feel the love of Jesus because that's what changes everything. That's what breaks us free from the, the bondage and the chains of legalism and comparison. That's what sets us free to go into God's purposes with confidence and boldness because we know it's Him anyways. It's His work. It's what He's called us to. And He's promised us He will never forsake us. So I just want to give you this morning, whether you're here in this place or uh, you're joining us online, that if you've never surrendered all to Jesus, because you either feel like you're not good enough or you're not worthy or that you're too much of a mess or that your sin is bigger than what Christ is, that if you would just get your life together, if you would just clean yourself up, then one day maybe you can come and meet Jesus. And I want to promise you one thing. Jesus meets us where we are. He doesn't make us come to him. If that's you this morning, Don't let being in your living room stop you from the greatest decision you could ever make and giving it all to Jesus, surrendering your life to Him, 
believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord is all that stands in the way of freedom, forgiveness, redemption, God's plan and purpose in your life through the giftings that he's given us. I pray that there's not a man who's afraid to get on his face in front of his family in a living room right now, in this place right now, because he wants to let go of all this shame and guilt that he keeps piling on himself. I pray there's a woman that's ready to let go of comparing herself to everyone else. And I pray that you hear that God says you are enough. I pray that we become a church that's not afraid to fall on our face before Jesus this morning and surrender it all to him so that we can walk in his forgiveness, in his grace, in his mercies, in his joy, in his freedom, in his forgiveness because it's right here for all of us. Why would we run from that? And I pray that we will hold one another accountable and encourage one another in our giftings and push each other towards Jesus because he is the only way. So if that's you this morning, if you want to make today the day of salvation, I just would ask you to either come and talk to some of us. We have some people here. I'll be down here. If you want to come and talk to me, if you're online, just put it in the comments below that today I decided to follow Jesus. And I promise you that comment section will blow up for the rest of us these altars are open your living room is open we have an opportunity to be the witness of Christ that we are called to be and to push back against that witness we see in Acts 23 this time is yours I'm going to pray for us and Father God, we just love you. We thank you. We praise you, Lord. I just pray that you would just move in this place, that you will move in every home, that you will move in every car, that you will move wherever people are, that they will acknowledge and see that you are present, that you don't make us come to you. You meet us where we are. Lord, I pray for forgiveness this morning. I pray for redemption this morning. I pray for freedom from comparison, from condemnation, from trying to set a standard and keep it, from judgment, from trying to impose all of these hard things on ourselves so that we somehow or another balance the scales in our relationship with you. I pray that this morning we let go of all of that nonsense and we just cling to the cross of Christ that gave us his righteousness and freed us from the condemnation of sin like Romans tells us. Lord, I just pray that we can be a church that loves our neighbor as we love, as we love ourselves and that sets no God before you. Lord, help us, guide us, lead us to be that church. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray.